Ready for the interview And if you get a cue Live on the laptop Watch what I'm gonna do Welcome to the show Let them know we got a point of view Hey, yo Let's have a combo Say what you feel Be real, that's the motto Real talk, pronto Doctor D, PhD Hit the intro Hold up, wait Gotta be social Network global Home for the locals Gotta be social Network global Home for the locals All right, Emily, thank you so much for being here with me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So I came across an article that you wrote. Uh-huh. I think it was actually a fitness and wellness space article, maybe about yeah. wellness. It was an article about wellness. I'm pretty about sure. About fitness. Bad. Fitness. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh, this is right up my alley because <laughs> I've been in the fitness profession forever. And it was mm-hmm. a very, uh, it, it had a lot of punch to it. Had a lot of punch. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, so like I write for Vox obviously, and I cover business and finance, but one thing I also do over at Vox is kind of, I have have a a newsletter that's called called the big squeeze and basically looks at the ways that kind of, we are squeezed and tricked under capitalism, not to say that fitness fads are a trick, but basically (laughs) as a person who feels like I have fallen for a million different fitness fads and uh, has a Peloton sitting in the room next to me, I, I was like, you know, this is kind of a fun one. And I know actually recently you had a guest on uh, who I spoke to as well, right? Natalia. Natalia is great. Yeah, yeah, who covers this a lot. And so basically like I talked to my editor and we said like, you know, why not do a story on like the, the ways that we kind of continue to spend money on fitness, even though like, you know, probably fine to just like go for a walk or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, I just it's interesting because I spend so much time on committees and stuff talking about fitness and wellness and kind of how in our business, it's kind of our fault. We've done a weird job of messaging and providing Mm -hmm. the messengers for what it means to be fit and and all the different propaganda and items. It's kind of a snake oil salesperson type of business in many ways, you know, Mm hmm. I mean, I wouldn't, I don't know if I would say that, but you know, like I think for this story, at least that I worked on over the summer, you know, like there isn't money in telling people to go for a walk. There isn't money in telling people that their gym membership that costs $25 a month is just fine. And so you, know, you have a fitness industry that obviously, you know, much more about than I do, but that is constantly inventing a new thing. You know, I think back to when I was younger and my mom got into Taibo in the 90s and watching my mom punch and kick in her in our house in Wisconsin by herself but make me yeah. do it with her and you know I I talked to a lady over the summer who lived in LA and had been in the workout videos and and she said it was like a cult and you know she was telling me like mm-hmm. oh no no but it's not the same as like a Peloton or Soul Cycle. but <laughs> I, I think like there's an argument to be made there that it is and that these things sort of come and go in part because like marketers and new companies pop up in part because things get trendy and in part because, you know, you get bored with workouts. Like you want something new. It's fun to try a different thing. And sometimes it's also terrible to try a different thing, but you, you do it anyway. Yeah. It's always a different hustle in fitness all the time. I mean, it's been like that forever and you know, the industry hasn't, been formalized for a really long. It's not been that long that the industry has been formalized. So I feel like we're kind of finding our way, but we always have this thread of like, what's new, what's different. And there's, it's hugely unregulated, the industry as well. So Mm -hmm. anyway, I thought the article was really interesting. 
and your approach to it. But I like all the articles that you write, like the airport one was very interesting to me because I travel a lot. Oh, uh, which one? You're trapped in the airport, like with oh. the pricing and everything. I mean, like it's kind of a crazy environment, you know? Right. I mean, it's kind of I mean, that one was just interesting because we are trapped like everybody experiences this. Right. You go to the airport, you are stuck there. And if you are anything like me, you like I will almost always stop to get a glass of wine before getting on the plane. Yeah. Full stop. And I do kind of feel like there are no rules at the airport. Um, But at the same time, like you do pay for the fact that there are no rules at the airport. That being said, there are rules. But um, you know, it's not the airports can charge whatever, at least in the United States, I got into this a little bit that they're allowed to do something called street pricing plus 10 or 15%. Now, the weird thing about quote unquote street pricing is that it's calculated. Um, it's a little bit funky, the calculation, basically the airport says to the restaurant, let's say you can charge whatever street pricing is plus 15% on top of that, for example, but then the airport and the restaurant kind of haggle over what street pricing is. So like I live in New York City, um, street pricing at JFK is not uh, what it is at the bodega around the corner from me. It is what it is at a restaurant in Midtown that I would not go to. So it is a little bit tricky, but it is, you know, they know that they have a captive audience and it is also, I think, to be fair to the airport vendors, a lot of the people I talked to did say it is, um, you know, it's it's expensive to operate at the airport. There are things that you are doing at the airport to, to operate there that you wouldn't elsewhere, right? Like you have to get all of your employees through security. They also have to work kind of wonky hours. Getting um, a food delivery is not, you're not pulling up on the side of the road, right? You might have to drive onto the tarmac. Well, then you have to get insurance in case that truck runs into an airplane. Um, so there are all sorts of expensive reasons or there are all sorts of reasons that operating at the airport would be a little bit more expensive i mean that being said it is hard not to feel like when you go to the airport you are getting uh, a little bit squeezed but you know that's kind of the price at least somebody like me ends up paying because the right answer is ultimately like bring a snack and sit in you know sit at the gate by yourself Um, (laughs) but you know not everybody's that responsible I thought that was interesting. I, I've noticed kind of a thread in, um, in your writing is like, you'll say things like that, but then you're like, but you know, I'm not going to do that. Like I'm <laughs> going to do like, and I love that level of honesty that you bring to your writing is like, you're not trying to say, well, yes, I'm so virtuous. I'm, I would do this. You're like, well, I'm not going to do it, but here's probably what would be good, <laughs> you know, type of thing, you know? Right. I mean, I think that's like, you know, it's tricky because I think like as consumers, we don't like to think about our roles in things sometimes. Like to be honest, some of the meanest emails I've ever gotten were over a story I wrote, I think last, I want to say in 2021 about credit card rewards points. Like, because basically the way credit card rewards work is like when you go to, I don't know, a store, right? Um, to, if you use a credit card reward, like a rewards credit card, I'm sorry. Been talking all day. Oh, so if you use a rewards <laughs> credit card, um, the merchant has to pay a higher fee on that than they would if you use cash or a debit card, um, a transaction fee. And they pass that fee a lot of the time onto other consumers, right? So or the merchant does. So if they're spending, a, they have to spend a bunch of money on, on these credit card transaction fees, they eventually just pass it into their products. So it is a little bit of a cash transfer situation where uh, 
you know, cash payers who often tend to be lower income wind up subsidizing the rewards of um, people who have the credit card rewards who oftentimes are, are wealthier, but more credit savvy. Uh, a lot of people didn't like that. You know, people don't, we don't like to think about our own behavior. And like, I don't like to think about it either. Like I use a, I use a rewards credit card, like full stop. I think that the answer there is like, if you want to maybe don't use it at like the bodega on the corner, you know, there's a reason that the bodega guys like, Hey, we'll give you a cash discount or, you know, and the flip side, like we're going to charge 10% more if you are using a, a rewards credit card, especially on if you're making like a $5 purchase. But I do think like there is something to like, it's really uncomfortable to think about how these things work, but I think it's also like, you just have to kind of like, just because you think about it doesn't mean that like, ah, you're an evil person for using a rewards credit card. Like it's fine. It is what it is, but like, maybe we want to think about that. And like, I'm certainly not at all perfect. Like, I don't know. I mean, like so much of this is also stuff that happens in my own life or that I'm like personally interested. I mean, to get back to the fitness fads one, like that was one where I was like, my God, like I've done so many of these things and like I will fall for it every time I have a story on it tomorrow <laughs> on like online shopping and like the countdown clock and like the countdown clock when you shop online is made up like it will just reset itself most of the time unless it's like Taylor Swift tickets right uh but like I didn't even think about that I was just like oh yeah that does make sense that it's fake but you don't think about it and like you know it's tricky to operate in the economy it is tricky. And how did you come about wanting to write kind of write about something like this, like the big squeeze and how maybe like giving people this information and then letting them decide like, hey, I'm just going to go ahead and I know this is happening to me, but whatever, I'm going to do it. How did this come about? I mean, so like this, like the column itself was born. I mean, the original idea was to call it, that's how they get you, which I think like it's pretty <laughs> intuitive there right? because it is something that happens in your daily life where you're like, oh, that's how they get you. Like it really does happen. And it I think does. Like a couple of years yeah. ago, I was talking to somebody, I don't know where we were, what it was. Um, and so that's kind of it. And like, you know, to back up a bit, like I write about business and economics, obviously at Vox and like, it is sometimes... I don't want to say hard to get people to care about economics, but a lot of people have this sense of like, oh, business and economics is so boring. Like you must be so bored at work. And it's like, no way. It's actually like, it's very, very interesting. And like, hey, we all have to like live and operate in the economy. And this is like part of your daily life. And I do think a lot of this stuff is just, you know, things we don't, like things that we take for granted that we don't think about. Like one of the, my favorite stories I've done on this beat is, um, about my internet provider like Ooh. i i hate my internet provider i will not name them because i'm going to be nice to them but <laughs> i hate them i only have one i live in the middle of brooklyn you would think i would have access to more but i only have one and they know that i only have them so what does that mean for me that means that i moved into my apartment like two and a half years ago and they give me a nice little deal when i move in it's whatever fifty dollars and then a year later, all of a sudden I look and it's $75 and the service is not better. It's a little bit worse, but it's just $25 more. And I call and I play the little game where I'm like, well, hey, I might leave. And they're like, where are you going to go? <laughs> what are you going to do? Are you just not going to have the internet? Because they know, like they, they know. know they have you. And so I think that is something like people, like we don't think about monopoly power, right? Like in the United States really that much or anywhere. Uh, but that is something where like corporate power and like concentration really does impact like your day-to-day -day life. Like if, if I call 
Verizon, which I do not have, like once a month being like, hey, are you guys going to come? Because then I can threaten the other company and then I'll get a better deal. But like, they just know that they like have me and it's, it shouldn't be that way. And I think that kind of stuff is really more intuitive for people. If you can say like, hey, this is actually like a thing that's screwed up. Yeah, the internet provider thing hits home for me too because I've kind of had the same issue. Really? And then recently, like a fiber optics company came through, mm-hmm. but the service was way worse. Like, like it's so annoying to like try to get somebody on the phone and talk to you and mm-hmm. get something done. So it's like you almost just default back to what you have because right. you're like, I-, I don't even know how to get this other thing started because they won't get back to me, you know? Yeah, it's really, I mean, it's really frustrating. And I think, you know, it's obviously not the, like the customer service person's fault, um, but it, it does feel sometimes like it's intentionally difficult. Like this is just anecdotal, but I have a friend that lives in another neighborhood here and he has a house and was trying to change his internet from one provider to the other. And the original provider he had kind of like the, the customer service guy kind of threatened him a little bit and was like, hey, I know where you live. And I what? <laughs> really, yeah. It was real odd. That's um, strange. But, yeah, but well, I mean, I don't know. That man was probably having a day. Yeah. Um, but then it took him like two weeks to get the new thing set up. And it was, it was like multiple visits from the new company. And they'd have to go into his neighbor's backyard. Like it is, you know, like companies kind of know that you're they're sticky. And like sometimes it's something like your internet provider where they just know like you're just going to be too lazy even if you can get another option. Or it's like, you know, your, I don't know, your bank account, like banks know that most people, once they have a bank account, aren't going to switch all of their money to a new bank, even if the other bank is offering a better deal, because it's just kind of inertia. And so then if you have like a checking account that maybe could be better somewhere else, you're not going to change it because you're just, you're just like most people are just a little bit, you know, people have a million things going on in their lives. So you're not always paying attention to this stuff. Is the squeeze sometimes that humans crave comfort and even if you give them a better option, it may just be easier to stay with something that may not be great, but that it's comfortable for you. I mean, there's definitely like, there's a lot of, you know, behavioral psychology that goes to it. And a lot of it really is, you know, comfort, inertia, just kind of, I'm going to stick with what I know. I mean, I do think it's fair to say also companies are very good at kind of nudging you in different ways. Like I've talked about this online shopping story that I have coming out soon where it was just like, cause I know when I buy online, like, I think that I know that like, Hey, some of the reviews might be fake, but like, you know, you go to book a hotel room, for example, and it tells you like, Hey, there's only five hotel rooms left, left at this price. Like websites can make that up. And they do a lot yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. and we don't think about that. And so some of it is just, you know, like it is, I was talking to a marketing guy last week and I said, you know, how can people avoid these kinds of things, you know, and avoid like tricks of shopping stuff or whatever it is, you know, because the like, companies and marketers have a way of kind of tricking us on this. And he said, you know, like you can be conscious of it for a while, but at some point you're just going to forget. And you're going to get God again, because that's just like the nature of like human beings. Like if you're doing your daily life and you're trying to do your job and deal with your family and deal with your friends and deal with whatever, like you don't have time to like constantly be on the defensive yeah. for like, what's the, what's the little thing that's going to get you. 
Do you ever look into like the ethics of these things with these stories or do anybody that maybe are doing these things, do they ever think about the ethical aspect of the squeeze with people? I mean, I think they're, I mean, yes, like they're, they're obviously like big ethical questions here. And there, I think it's on the part of, I mean, there are legal questions as well. Like a lot of this stuff is, is not necessarily always allowed, but nobody's really paying attention or looking. But I mean, we definitely live kind of, I don't know. I mean, companies have a lot of power, right? And there is a, we live in a capitalistic society where there is a profit motive. Um, and you can have different opinions about like whether or not that's great all of the time or not. Like companies ultimately exist to you know, pay their shareholders. They don't exist to take care of their customers or to their workers. And that's not like a, a I mean, there, there is an ethical question there, but, but that's just like a fact of how we run you know, business and society now. Um, so it is a little bit, I mean, the ethics question is always hard. And, and I do think it's just one where like, I think my goal here is to kind of just, you know, I mean, also I'm always looking for ideas. So if anybody has any, please let me know. But I do think it is one where it's like, sometimes we just take things so for granted and we don't think about like whether or not they're good. Like this is kind of a, on like one thing I wrote about not that long ago was like tech boot camps, right? And you see them everywhere. These like learn to code boot camps. And this was from a source of mine who wrote me and he was like, have you ever looked into these because they look weird? And I was like, well, I just always assumed like you learn to code and then you get a great job. But like, if you take, like, take just a beat to think about it and what they are promising you, a lot of these is that you get your dream job and you're imagining like Google, whatever, in a matter of like, after studying for nine weeks, but that, but that fundamentally doesn't make sense. And, and these things are a little bit predatory because they are showing yeah. up for people who maybe are looking for a career change. Maybe people who, you know, aren't, um, making a lot of money in the moment. Like they do tend to start target certain audiences and they do sometimes also put people into a lot of debt. And so all of a sudden you wind up with, you know, I know ten, twenty thousand dollars worth of debt with some certificate that actually Microsoft and Google don't want, or you right. wind up in these income share agreements where you get some kind of a job in tech, but maybe it's not a great one. And also, hey, you owe the company that educated you um, a big percentage of your paycheck. That's not to say that the boot camps don't work for everyone, but I think like that was one where I just, again, like I. I had, I mean, I've seen like people I know in life on LinkedIn who are like going to design boot camps. I've been like, oh, I guess they're just going to give job and graphic design and then not thought about, well, are they though? And like, what is the ethics of that? Promising somebody a, a future proof career that's not, that's not real. There's, there's a lot going on here. I mean, behind the scenes, I, I look at it as like, you're pulling the curtain. You're like letting people go behind the curtain about what's happening in, in capitalism and in corporations. And what are your thoughts currently about the state of capitalism? And second, where do you think it's going? Where are they going? I have no idea. I mean, and this might be a little bit more like me just because of the current state of my work. Like it does feel like because of like, it's bad to say it, but because of inflation, because of the pandemic, because people have been honestly, even during the pandemic, playing with stocks and things like that, people are paying a little bit more attention to the economy, at least like in 
in my life than in, I feel like before. Um, that's not necessarily in a good way, right? Like everybody feels really, really bad about inflation right now right. in a way that's like, you would actually rather not have to think about that kind of stuff. Um, you know, and I think that there are, like, it's always good for people to talk about this stuff and to think about this stuff because I think sometimes it feels like very foreign and it feels like, well, that's just something for like very serious people somewhere else. But it's like, no, like this affects your day-to-day life. And so, you know, it's hard, but I think it's good to talk about like, again, like you have only one internet provider, like, should it be that way? Like that, and that is like an extra 25, $50 a month. They're like, what if it weren't that way? And why is it like this? Or maybe you, you know, your cell phone only has one provider that reaches that area or things like that. And I think also, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's something that sometimes I feel like we're so politically divided on these things, but it's like, actually there are some things that I think are annoying for everyone and, and in, you know, in the economy and in capitalism. And I have a hard time saying like, yes, it's totally fine that only one company runs whatever, like monopolies are, are tough, are not great. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it feels like a very interesting time must be for you as a journalist writer, when you're, how do you read other stories? Like obviously you're writing mm-hmm. and you're doing all this research and getting all this sourcing. How do you go about reading someone else's work and how does that impact your own work? I mean, honestly, like it's really nice. <laughs> it's nice to see, like, I tend to be like, I listen to like a handful of like, you know, daily podcasts, like economic podcasts. And that's really nice. Just hear somebody else sometimes talk through things. Yeah. Um, and I think in terms of like, you know, I get like a Politico's like morning money uh, newsletter every morning. And it's nice to like, see like what somebody else thinks is important. Um, you know, like Joe Weisenthal at Bloomberg is another person who they have a newsletter that I read or like a Matt Levine also at Bloomberg. It's nice to see somebody who approaches things a, you know, in a different way, but also like to understand like how they're thinking about things. Like Matt Levine over at Bloomberg, he's like a corporate, he's a lawyer. He's very, very smart. He's a very good writer. And sometimes it's like, hey, this is too in the weeds for me. And I have, I'm lost. I have no idea what's going on anymore. Um, but it's nice to be like, oh, like you thought this part of this was important. And I thought that part was important. Um, and I think like he and others do a really good job of writing about this kind of stuff in a way that's like lighter and more entertaining. I mean, that being said, I also just read Wall Street Journal and Bloomberg a lot. Because <laughs> they, like, tend, they tend to like tell it to you pretty straight. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's nice to like see what somebody else thinks matters and like if they think it matters in the same way that you do. And I think this, I always think it's interesting how you view other, co- your colleagues and how mm-hmm. your work is different and the same. And like you said, how, what they think is important, what you think is important as well for that. You mentioned before about, um, piece you wrote and people getting angry about certain things yes. or, I mean, they're writing you. Is that a common occurrence that people are writing back or providing some feedback? They're like, well, this really hit me in the wrong way. This article. Yeah not as much anymore I, I used to write about politics more and that was a little oh, bit harder geez. uh this is i mean this one is like you know you get all sorts of feedback and sometimes it's it's really helpful it's constructive uh sometimes it's not sometimes it's very personal uh mm. it, it really kind of runs the gamut wow. um but like what i have really found in this feed is like 
and it's not a bad thing, but I think people are really uncomfortable like thinking about their own sort of habits and roles. Like I said, people really didn't want to hear that like their credit card rewards were not gifts from the sky. Like I did in an, it, which is, it's like, I, I don't know where anybody thought they were coming from, you know? Um, right. Or I, I did an interview with another a philosopher named Matthew Stewart, um, who he wrote a story about kind of the upper middle class and the way that people in the upper middle class feel like they have to compete with each other. And it's like, you're on a hill and pushing everybody off. And like, you want your kids to be most optimized. You need the best house and like the sort of economic and racial implications that had. And I got a lot of yelling about that. I think in part because we had the same last name and people just did not know that I was not him to a certain extent. <laughs> but I do think like we don't, like it's easy to, and I tend to be a person who's like companies are mean. Um, but sometimes we also don't like to think about the ways that we are complicit in this and not, not consciously, but that, you know, you do want your kids to go to the best school. You do want to live in the best house. Like you do want, and we are made to feel like these things are scarce. Like a good higher education is, is scarce to a certain extent, right? Like not everybody gets into Harvard. Uh, so what would it look like to share more? But we don't want to. It's, it's so fascinating because it's it's a whole conversation about um, reflecting on your own behavior, personal accountability. And often when it comes back home or if you eliminate all of the other variables and the only variable is you, it's very damning to think about <laughs> yourself and how you play. It's like, have you done an article or like about climate? I'll be interested in that. Like- that's got to be very controversial and maybe how some of our own personal habits in our homes play a part in that, but that we also talk about larger institutions of what they're supposed to be doing about that. I think there'd be an interesting personal accountability aspect to that too, I would think on some level. Yeah. I mean, climate is not my area. I, you know, and it's tricky because I think, you know, obviously it's good to recycle and all of that fun stuff at the same time, like is me putting my plastic bottle in one bin and not the other going to save the planet no and and you know energy companies have done a really good job of yeah. kind of putting this impetus onto customers and convincing us that it is our fault when it's like no 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 i think it might be you exxon that's actually <laughs> doing the bad um yeah. so it is a little bit yeah it's you know it's it's tough on that stuff but at the same time like I, you know, I put the, I put the plastic bottle in the right bin, but it, it is hard to, you know, like in just your day-to-day life, sometimes like you screw up and also like what one person considers like perfect practices is not what the other person considers, you know, it's kind of separate, but even like to draw an analogy with like the COVID precautions, right? Like in, it feels to me like everybody's made their own personal set of rules yeah. for how it's supposed to be. And then we all <laughs> judge each other based on that, where it's like, well, you wear your mask on the subway and you don't but you went to a bar and you didn't wear it. And it's like all that kind of stuff, you know? And so I think we do have a tendency to kind of blame each other and also kind of, I don't know, you know, we all have our own rules. Like I was at a friend's house a couple of weeks ago and I noticed she didn't recycle. And I was like, and then it was like, well, who knows where my recycling's going? Like, I, like is it actually happening? Like, I don't know, but I do have a separate little bin. So it's tricky. Yeah. I mean, that's another subject. I mean, I've been recycling forever, but then sometimes you like you separate it and then you go and you look and see and they just throw it all in the same thing. It's oh, like, so wait a minute, what's happening here? <laughs> you know, like, right. Am right. I, am I been conditioned to do this, but I don't know actually where it goes. 
and yeah. how this is this is actually being recycled in the end game or is it just a cover i don't know i'm just it's funny you don't you don't want to sound like it's like wow i'm going off the deep end here and uh-huh. thinking about this and i think there's an element of sometimes if people think too much about something and they start getting all of these thoughts about it that it could become conspiratorial to to others about it you know right i mean it is yeah that kind of stuff is wild but even like i've poked around a little bit on a thing on like bottled water for example right which we all kind of know like the water coming out of your faucet is probably fine with some important exceptions and yet like there's a giant bottle of water industry right and so we're constantly recycling these bottles of water that we don't need at the same time the bottled water industry has given birth to the boxed water industry which we also don't need and which isn't really environmentally better and the canned water industry, which like <laughs> same exact thing. It's not, it's not really that much better. And so you can see how this all sort of builds upon itself, where if you look at like a canned water that tells you, oh no, no, but we're better, we're better than the bottled water, you know, ne- not necessarily, like it depends on what you're looking at in terms of the environmental impact. And also like, it's still a thing you don't need, like just get a glass of water right. from your kitchen most of the time. Um, <laughs> But we don't, and and that is one where it's like it's not like the consumer's fault, but it's because like the bottled water industry didn't really exist in the United States like fifty years ago. Yeah, it's, these are fascinating topics. I and going back to the airport thing, I talk about the airplanes, and like I was just talking to my mom about like the baggage fees, and then the all the other fees. It may say that it's low when you look mm-hmm. at the. Uh, less of a price for the airline ticket. But once you get into the system mm-hmm. and you start paying for everything else, it's pretty much more, way more expensive. That, that squeeze felt very tangible to me. And I think that's the genius of this is like a lot of this squeeze is universally tangible for a lot of people. It's not like, well, that's not me. I don't, that doesn't happen to me. You know, there's right. so much that's happening to us. And I feel like you're highlighting this is what's happening to us now. Mm-hmm. What's the decision on your part going to be, you know? Yeah. Well, it's also interesting to like back up and figure out how that kind of stuff happened. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, you know, where it's like somebody like something like airline fees. Like I am just old enough to remember that at some point, like the first check bag was free. Maybe, <laughs> maybe not. I don't know. But oh, like, but I remember at the very least never having like, never having to pay for a seat, right? Like you never had to pay for a seat. And now it's like, well, what in the world is going on? Like every time you go to book and like really what it goes back to is like, at the you know, in the early 2000s between the, you know, like the financial crisis and 9-11 and a big run up in, in oil prices, uh, airlines needed to make money. And they, they were like, hey, what if we charge people for baggage? And oh, turns out everybody's going to pay for baggage. And like, some of it is that especially the budget airlines have disaggregated prices, they'll tell you, because not everybody wants baggage, not everybody wants a nice seat or whatever. But at the very least, you know, they kind of trick you into it in the sense that they don't show you, you know, you go to like Expedia or whatever, and you see that first price and that first price is a lie. But that doesn't mean anything. By no. the time you get through every every little tiny little thing, You've been nickels and dimed for a ton of things. I mean, I've seen examples of like companies that would charge for you to like print out your boarding pass and stuff like that. And it really is, it's kind of nuts. And like what the airlines will tell you is we're giving customers more choice than what they want. And like, okay, 
but like say that up front and the Biden administration yeah. is working on some rules around this that that would maybe make it a little bit better like I'm not saying that you, you shouldn't charge me if whatever you want to fine but like tell me instead of tricking tell me, me. Yeah. So that like, I don't think I'm clicking on a $200 seat. And by the end, I'm like, well, how the heck do I get to 550? <laughs> what did I do? Or I'm in like the back of the plane and like some hell hole that like, whatever is on my own. <laughs> do you ever think about kind of the, uh, maybe it's not a squeeze, but you know, I've been followed us over the years, kind of a digital privacy or the selling of your data online. And like, just again, kind of thing, tell me ahead of time, you're taking my data and you're selling it. I know that there's been more things about that, but that's kind of a, a running along the theme of like, well, you're doing things behind my back and I didn't know this was going on, but like, mm -hmm. like, where's my piece of this cut? If you're selling my data, you know, things like that. It's like frustrating, you know? Yeah. I mean, the data stuff is very, I have a colleague at Vox, Sarah Morrison, who does a lot of work on this and she's very much like a data privacy person yeah. in a way that like, sometimes she will get mad at me because I'm like, normal, normal people don't have time to think about this. Like, <laughs> nobody is. I, I would love to like care more about data privacy. And at this point, I'm just like, I assume that the dark web has all of my information, <laughs> That's um, right. but it is, you know, it is frustrating to be part of the product and just to see like the different ways that you're kind of constantly giving things away. Like, I've even noticed just existing as a person who's on the internet is like suddenly random websites are just asking for my, for my email, for me to like, just, just go to the website. Like I don't even have to subscribe. And then it's like, and I, I'm just like, well, I guess I'll type it in because I want to look at that. And then like two hours later, I'm like, oh, I'm on their email list. And then yeah. it goes from here to there to there. And then you obviously run into the problems of the data breaches that happen all of the time and nothing happens. And, you know, and to a certain extent, like data breaches are inevitable, but it is, it's not fun, especially when you realize that you, you know, for like a Facebook, like you're the product, right? Like yeah. you are being sold or an Instagram or whatever, things like that. And you're not seeing a cut of it. And instead, just every once in a while, you get a random little notification, like, whoops, your information was lost again. Surprise. Like, do you want to join this class action lawsuit? You can get some pennies. Like it's, it's not, yeah. not great. No, de definitely not great. I actually, something like that happened to me. It was like through a mortgage that I had a long time ago with oh. a, a different house. And there was these excessive fees. And I don't even know how this came about, but it was like a big suit and stuff like that. But it's like, again, I'm not paying attention to that. No. You know, it's like, and I think there's a lot of not paying attention, especially if you know, if you make this kind of a, a socioeconomic conversation and all these things, if you're just trying to survive on a regular basis, why would you care right. like to really like uh, investigate these type of things right. and when you're just trying to get food on the table, be safe where you are? And I think that's kind of this predatory behavior is knowing that there are a lot mm -hmm. of humans who just can't devote the time and energy to looking at this stuff deeply. Right. I mean, they know you won't. Like, that's why as much as sometimes, I mean, there's a reason we have the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, right? Yeah. The, after the financial crisis. And a lot of what they do and, and like try to do is, you know, say that your mortgage agreement like has to be legible for a regular person. Like you can't be kind of trying to kind of get in and trick people. And, and companies shouldn't be doing that because like, as you said, nobody has the time to constantly be on the defensive about all this stuff, nor should they have to have yeah. that kind of time or energy. That's 
who wants to live like that? I'm like, yeah. oh, got to make sure I'm not getting screwed at every corner. <laughs> no. <laughs> got to make sure I'm not getting hoodwinked every single time yeah, I do yeah, something. Yeah. You yeah. know? Now, did you, I think, because uh, I'm on a couple list of things I voluntarily wanted to be on. Like, uh-huh. I voluntarily signed up for your... Uh, the big squeeze every couple of weeks. But was it you who wrote about be nice to people over the holidays? And yeah, I love that because I've seen this weird tide of people being nasty to service providers. And I was like, yeah. wow, Emily's so right on about this one. This is like a big hot button thing for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is like, because I have a lot of the time or for the last few years have done a lot of work, just like talking to random workers, like but during the pandemic, like essential workers or just, you know, about different things. And I'm always shocked how often this one comes up when I'm like, what would you like people to say? Uh, What would you like people to know? And people are like, I just want people to be nice to me. Like I talked to a guy here in Queens who like works at a meat store ahead of Thanksgiving in 2021. And he was like, could you just tell people to be nice? Like multiple times during our interview, because people get really upset about like their turkeys ahead of Thanksgiving. And he was like, it's going to be turkey. It's going to be fine. Don't worry. Like maybe it's not your ideal turkey, but it's fine. Yeah. And I think, you know, this time of the year is obviously like stressful. Holidays are stressful. Full stop for everyone. Um, And people often get frustrated with service workers all of the time. But like if your flight is delayed, like the yelling at the gate worker is it like literally will not help you. It's not like that person cannot fix the delay. They cannot fix the weather. And I think especially as we head into <laughs> holiday travel, like it is important to remember and, and it's easy to forget. Like every, like there's no person, anybody who tells you that they've never kind of not been nice to, to a service worker is lying. Like everybody has like a moment where you're like on the phone with like the internet guy and you're like, Oh my God, I hate this. And this sucks so much. Um, but like, <laughs> That's like the moment when you have to kind of take the beat and say, like, just settle down. Like, this is all going to be fine. Like, I I used to work at a, at a translation agency and we had a guy who worked there who used to say, well, this isn't an emergency room. And I feel like I always <laughs> <laughs> where it's like, oh, like, you know, just relax. Like, these people are, are trying and like, I've had plenty of customer service jobs. Like you, I mean, you work in an industry where you have, ton of clients and Tons. like, yeah. and you're dealing, managing personalities all, all day, the time. I would imagine. It sucks. And I mean, it doesn't suck, but it's tough. And it is like, you know, it's not easy. And so I think it's just a good time of the year to kind of remember, like, you know, everybody's a little stressed, just like settle down. And if you're 10 minutes late, because the subway was slow or your food took an hour extra, whatever, like, yeah. it's fine. Like you're going to be fine. Yeah, I think it's a good perspective to have. It's um, is I've seen some of this, you know, when people get really nasty to other people and stuff. I'm just like, well, let's look at the big picture of this here. I mean, you didn't eat, you ate 15 minutes later than you wanted to. It's like, it's gonna be okay. You're gonna have to deal with it. You're not gonna die, <laughs> type of thing. But right. I, you know, there seems you know there's a heightened level of stress. I understand with people and. And certainly in the last couple of years, you know, people have spent more time with other people that may they maybe they wanted to or didn't want to spend more time with and all these things. And, you know, as, as wonderful as the holiday season is, it, it's also a sad time of the year, too. I think that's the reality uh, that sometimes we don't acknowledge that mm-hmm. people are struggling mightily during the holidays and mm-hmm. we should have some grace about that. You know, yeah, I mean, it's been a tough. Yeah, it's been a tough few years. And I think that's one of those where it's like, it's, 
and the holidays are always extra hard and you know it's hard it's it's easy to be like no I'm mad right now and like take it out on someone else but it's like you know you don't know what's happening in that person's life either or what's going on for them and I think that works on both ends but you know I think you know I've had customer service jobs and it was wild how like a single person could just ruin my day over something like so silly and it's like why and I still remember it like 10 years later right about it and it's like you don't you know you don't have to be that person and it is a it's a tough time of the year but it's tough for everybody and I think it's also important to know like a lot of places are still facing worker shortages and so those workers are super stretched like they are aware of it it's not maybe it used to be four people working at at the whatever store with them now it's two of them um so it's just kind of a moment to have a little bit of patience because everybody's tired everybody's stretched yeah yeah most definitely so as we wrap up here what can we expect in 2023 for the big squeeze or some ideas that maybe you can talk about, you know? <laughs> Listen, if you have, seriously, if you have any ideas, I'm always open because you have to kind of keep, <laughs> it is tough to keep this one going yeah. uh, because I feel like my whole life now is just random people, like either be like praying that I see a scam or like somebody telling <laughs> me about a scam. A scam. <laughs> I'm just like, please tell me anything. But yeah, I mean, for next year, like, God, I'm, who knows what I'm going to look at. I think one of the things like at least in the new year I'd like to look at is like hiring practices. I am not sure how it is in your industry, but I think in a lot of industries, it feels like you're constantly being asked for like a higher and higher and higher bar and just like more evidence that you can do your job. Like I mean, yeah. it's in journalism, it's a lot of like, do you have a clip? Well, what if you send us more ideas? Well, what if you come work with us for a day? Things like that, where I can just be like, okay, guys, like what, how many hoops are there to jump through Mm. sometimes. So that's one that I kind of, I want to look at, um, you know, persistently interested in, in CVS and Walgreens locking up all of their, uh, all of their products and what that means for who and why they're doing that Uh. and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, So those are some of the things I'm looking at for next year, but seriously, if you or any of your listeners have thoughts, uh, really, really open ears always, because, you know, you got to come up with some stuff every two weeks. Well, I think that's yeah, every two weeks. I mean, it comes around quicker than you think, you know, it's it really like, does. Right. <laughs> and it's wonderful. I, for everyone who's going to be listening, Emily is an awesome writer and I love that it lands right into your inbox and you can read it right inside the email. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. It really is. I like don't subscribe to a lot of stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of stuff's just bullshit to me, honestly, but like, this is awesome. Like oh. as soon as I read, I think it was in my newsfeed, one of your articles. And uh-huh. then I dug deeper and I looked about this every two weeks. And I was like, this is like my type of thing. And I voluntarily signed up for it instead of being involuntarily signed up for lists, which always happens to me. I swear. <laughs> I'm like, how did I get on this Jenny's baked goods list? I didn't, I didn't go to that site. <laughs> like, you yeah. know, we really should all just our email addresses over once a year just otherwise it's just impossible right. it's like well i have no idea but i'm glad that you see, yeah but no it genuinely um uh, but that's lovely to hear and yes i don't spam people if, i mean i hope not if i if i do it's not on no on and you're very accessible <laughs> you know i got your email address from the article i was like oh great i'll just i'm the type of person mm-hmm. if i want to do something i just reach out and either it happens or it doesn't the person yeah. says yes or no that's fine either way. And uh, so thank you for giving me some time and could just let people know how they can connect with you 
and uh, sign up for the big squeeze. Yeah. So, um, well, you can find me at Vox.com, V-O-X. That's where I work. Um, senior correspondent there. Uh, you can email me at emily.stewart at Vox.com. Um, and I'm on Twitter at Emily Stewart M as in Mary, because I have a very, uh, very common name. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Emily, thank you so much. I appreciate you giving me some of your time today. No, thanks for having me.